Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. This is part two of an episode recorded on February the 13th, 2012. Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson are here to run through the latest Orioles chicanery while we are transitioning between parts. If you'll indulge me a little bit of self-promotion, you should follow us both on Twitter. We are occasionally funny on there. And, uh, well, you're occasionally funny. Well, you're funny too, Andrew. That's, I'm uh, occasionally indignant. Occasionally there's worthwhile things reading from the both of us. You can follow me. I am at Eat More SK. SK like the hot dogs. E S S K K A Y. That's real or real meat hot dogs? SK Oreo Franks, indeed. Taste the difference, quality mix. They should really compensate me. I give advertisement <laughs> away for free. I regret it. Uh, Never, but whatever. And Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, so it's his name except last name. Backwards. So, yeah. So that's self promotion out of the way. Let's move on with talking about. Well, hold on, hold on. Do you, do you have like? I follow you on Twitter, and I've noticed that you are a fan of the haiku as a form of of coping with the sometimes insane world of being an Orioles fan. Well, last week and a half, I've been having a haiku a day. I've been trying to write, yes. So do you have like a preview for your next one um, to, to share with us? No, because pretty much every day I just sit there and I'm like, what can I make a haiku about today? So oh, wow. I, uh, I don't have tomorrow's written already or anything like that. It's not, not that exciting, I'm sorry to say. I hope nobody's disappointed by that revelation. I am. Uh, but, uh, Andrew, I am sorry to disappoint you. Uh, I, I, I really thought you would sorry. have like a big queue of them. No. And then like they don't sign Suspetus, so you have like that one ready to go. I am like, afraid I one. don't have a stock. Maybe I will just to just to just to satisfy you, but we'll see. Well, okay. You should follow Mark Brown on Twitter because he is a fan of the haiku. So the so. Orioles today. Uh, were, uh, well, last week was when they unveiled their site for the Camden Yards 20th anniversary, and today they unveiled part of the site where it was the top 20 Camden classics of all time. And some of the other things they have on there is they have a Utah Street home run tracker, and you can click on everyone and have video, even from all the way back to 1992. Uh, they have a little map that showed where they landed who hit the ball. I think it's pretty cool. Although it's There were a lot of Luke Scott and Raphael Palmeros in there. There were. There were a surprising number of all of the above. And um, that's on there. That's pretty cool. But today's feature was the Camden Classics. And they have number 20 through number 12 on there. Apparently, you can vote on 11 through 1 if you... I mean, is there any question what number 1 is going to be, though? Yeah, number 1, I mean, clearly 2131. Right. I mean, come on. So Andrew and I were thinking, what were our personal favorite Camden Yards moments that we were in the yard for? And it's hard to pick, mostly because the Orioles have been bad for 14 consecutive of the 20 years that Camden Yards has been open. Uh, A couple that I thought of personally, I know I was there the inaugural season because my dad always talks about this one game we went to. Uh, It was a Friday night. It was May the 1st. I looked on the baseball reference box score. The Orioles were playing the Seattle Mariners, and Randy Johnson was the starting pitcher on the other team. Before he had become the dominant Randy Johnson, he was the Randy Johnson who walked a lot of guys. And uh, my dad swears Randy Johnson threw 26 straight balls 
I looked at the baseball reference box score. I don't think he really did, but it's true that he walked four straight batters and uh, ultimately walked 10 guys on the night. The Orioles won that game 15-1. to My enduring memory is actually that the one run was Jay Buhner for the Mariners hit a home run. And the reason why I remember that is because every time my dad and I went to a baseball game when I was younger, it seems like uh, we went and saw the Mariners and Jay Buhner hit a home run. And maybe the reason I remember that is because that was the first time. Another one of my favorites, much more recent, May 27th, 2009, which some may remember as the game Nolan Reimold hit his first home run. It was a walk-off home run in extra innings against the Blue Jays. That game was particularly exciting game very well. because yeah. Roy Holiday, Roy Roy Halliday, uh, was pitching for the Blue Jays and left the game with an eight to three lead. The Orioles scored five runs to make it an eight to eight tie and send it into extra innings. And then in extra innings, I don't remember who, but somebody blew in the Orioles bullpen, uh, and then they were losing ten to eight. And Reimold ended up hitting a three-run home run, so that the Orioles won twelve to ten. It was a pretty exciting game. The reason why I was there that day was because I went down to buy my tickets for later in that week. Uh, the Matt Weeders debut was happening then, because the night before was when Andy McPhail announced live on the Masson broadcast that they were going to call up Matt Weeders. That was. Oh my gosh, the Weeders game, I was not at, but like that was, I think, as much of a event thing as I can remember there being. Yes. I, you know, Andrew, I also went to the Weeders game. I don't know if I'd rate it one of the highest, but the one cool thing about it, it rained right before the game started and there was a rainbow over the warehouse. I'm not making this up. There was a rainbow over the warehouse right when the game started. It was like Matt Weeders took the field rainbow it was, yeah no you're it was, right I, it's I really going to be part of the matt weeders legend for anybody who was there uh because i remember that specifically because gary thorne pointed it out and he said maybe we should all just touch matt weeders as he walks by or something absurd and, and weird like that and I, I remember thinking it like there's a rainbow and Matt Weeders is here, and we're winning. Dontrell Willis was pitching, I think. Is that right? Luke Scott hit a couple home runs. I, I have to be honest. I have no idea who was pitching that day. I, wow, I that, was even there. That does not speak well to the, the quality of the game, does it? The Orioles won, though, because uh, they think they had a four-game winning streak, right? Yeah, uh, and then they lost the next two, yeah. which is sort of the story of our it's lives. very Orioles. Let's see. The starting pitchers that day were Brad Bergeson and Dontrell Willis. Brad Bergeson threw eight innings, two earned runs, struck out three, no walks. Dontrell Willis, not so good. Seven earned runs over five innings. The Orioles were seven to two victors. On that day, Matt Wieters' debut. Uh, Here we are, it's three years later, and the Orioles haven't won yet, but Matt Wieters is a pretty good baseball player. Hopefully he's still getting better. I guess that's our conclusion there. So, 20th anniversary of Camden Yards. Andrew and I were talking about this before we recorded he he refuses to even pick uh, a best I won't, game. I won't. I won't do it. How can how can you honestly say, as great as the Matt Weeders thing was, that that was one of the best baseball games in Camden Yards ever? When you know for a fact, Mark, that it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all in any sense. They won that game, and they had a 23-26 and 26 record. That was the last of a five-game winning streak, and... I Ultimately, bet they never even saw 
three games under 500 the rest of that season. Let's I see. mean, nope, they didn't. <laughs> that was the high water mark at that point. It was. They never were better than that. So, and they ended up that season 64 and 98. So yeah, a lot of seasons like that in uh, in Camden Yards history. Although surprisingly, the Orioles actually had winning seasons at home in 1998, 1999, and 2000. Uh, they've they've not been above 500 at home since. So it sort of reminds me of another game I was not at, but uh, 2005 against the Yankees. It must have been right before. Before the All-Star break, when the Orioles won on a walk-off first pitch home run in the 10th or the Brian Roberts hit that. Yeah, right? Brian I Roberts remember that right. game. I was watching it on right. TV, though. But, like, that game didn't matter. That game did not matter. The Yankees still went to the playoffs. The Orioles still finished well under 500. And this hurts me. This hurts me so much. The Orioles were 43-34 and 34 after winning that game, but... They ended up that year, as we all remember, fourth place, 74 and 88. Oh. Now, I was watching, I, I love this website, this Camden Yards 20 website. Uh, it's the, the videos are the best part. It's kind of sad when you watch the ones of like 1996 yes. and 1997 where the park. And those are the only ones I care about. Uh, but it's, it's funny artifacts on there. Like one of the home runs was, uh, the Utah Street home runs was Mickey Tettleton for the Tigers. Hit it's a home yeah. run off Ben McDonald. John Miller's giving the call. Pretty cool. Um, I was watching just before we started recording, because I, I, I love this site. I could just watch it all day and never get any work done. Um, one of their 20 best games, I think it's number 12, is Mike Messina not getting a perfect game. And I, I watched the clip. It's not the full game. It's just uh, like the highlights from the very end of it. And it's just like, that's not even the team that I like. I mean, it's just a totally different vibe. Um, but just just watching that, like, it makes me sad. And it, it makes me confused because, like, Jim Palmer is still doing the commentary. And Mike Messina is there. And he's just blowing guys away. Like... Just, just watching some of his strikeout curveballs, it's just like, holy crap! Like That guy um, was on the Orioles. He was very... Yeah, cool. and, you know, I, I was talking to my girlfriend uh, a little while ago, and off and on, throughout, on a, on a regular basis. My three favorite Orioles that I witnessed playing for the Orioles. So, like, Brooks Robinson doesn't count. Eddie Murray doesn't even really count because while I saw him in person, I mean, that was at the end of his career, and I do not remember seeing him during his prime with the Orioles. Right. But my, my three favorite Orioles, and I'm not sure I can even pick between them or would want to. That'd be like a Sophie's Choice sort of thing. Or uh, I don't even have to think about it. It's it's Chris Hoyles, Mike Messina, and Cal Ripken Jr. And, and getting... Even just the highlights of that game that I don't remember seeing in person on, on TV or whatever. It's just like, like, yes, like I, I want that back. Um, I, I just want those players to, to, to be, you know, I, I always talk about Mike Messina, but like watch that clip. Like that was like Baltimore's Mike Messina. Like he belongs in Baltimore just because of that game. 
and he it had, makes me he had sad so many and great angry. years as an Oriole, and uh, it, it is. It's very sad. All of it is sad. We're sad Orioles fans, and you're probably a sad Orioles fan too. Maybe this is part of your coping mechanism is uh, it's listening to us. It's it's part of our coping mechanism is talking to you. So uh, it's a it's a nice yeah so, logistic uh, relationship. Yeah, I, I I can get carried away. Just it's just like oh my gosh, like there just aren't strong enough words for how much I, I miss having a that quality of player on the team and b just this this whole not having Mike Messina be part of like the active Orioles history is maddening and just it, it fills me with rage like I'm shaking right right now. Five of the nine uh, top games that they have on the website at the moment are from 1996 or 1997. I have to feel like the majority of the rest will also. They have to those. be. Got to be. That's that's it. That's well. I that's guess if they have twenty one thirty and twenty one thirty one, that was ninety five. Or maybe the All Star game. All Star game ninety three could be. I, I the website's great, and I I got to watch um, my favorite Utah Utah Street home run was uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s at the home run derby that they showed, and I was like, ah, that's it. But like I'd never seen it before, and I was really glad that they found that clip. So clearly, I mean, they have video of all of it, so they clearly have access to everything. That's true. You can see this all for yourself at camdenyards20.com. Two zero camdenyards20.com. The actual number, not the word twenty. So having burned out our thoughts on that, Andrew and I were thinking about, well, do we want to grade the Orioles off season, or at least talk about some of the moves. One major move that happened since the last time we were here with you is that Jeremy Guthrie was traded to the Rockies. And honestly, my thoughts are best summed up by uh, Stacy Long's article headline on Camden Chat. Jeremy Guthrie traded for two players not likely to be any better than Jeremy Guthrie. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. The, um, the players that the Orioles got back from the Rockies were Jason Hamill, a starting pitcher, and Matt Lindstrom, a relief pitcher who's joining the glut of power back of the bullpen arms the Orioles are assembling. Uh, I feel like Matt Lindstrom, just to start with him, sort of fits like the classic mold where every March you will find on probably on massinsports.com an article about how the bullpen looks like it's a strength this year. Like they've revamped it. They brought in a bunch of new arms and, like they do every year. And, and and you know what happens to the bullpen every right. year um, is it's either bad outright or it becomes bad from throwing the most innings in baseball like the Orioles bullpen did last year. Because their starters threw the fewest innings in Major League Baseball by like 40 innings less than even the second worst team. Um, and Not that I think that would have helped no, a tremendous amount. Considering the innings the Orioles starters did throw, they had the worst ERA by right. far. But, uh, so, and, and, and with that said, uh, the Orioles have traded their innings leader from last year and brought back Jason Hamill who tends to throw 30 innings less per year than Jeremy Guthrie, even when he makes all of his starts and doesn't get hurt. So that right there is like, uh, okay. Well, if Matt Lindstrom can throw 50 innings, then the Orioles are up 20 innings, yeah, right? I guess so. Um, I think that's one of those things that led 
Mark Twain to say lies, damn lies in statistics. But, it, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is with Guthrie. Um, the, the word on the street was that they're just, nobody was offering prospects for him, and that, that is, doesn't and, surprise and me at all. I got to listen to the, the uh, conference call where Dan Duquette talked about it, and he was asked specifically if he was offered prospects for Guthrie, and he said there were not any offers of prospects. So the question for me, and that couldn't be answered on that call, was could Andy McPhail have traded Guthrie for prospects at any point? Uh, and if so, why didn't he? But that ship has sailed. Well, you wonder, because, like, I mean, the non-thinking fan, very casual fan, I should say, will say Guthrie has led the league in losses multiple times now. He's he's a little older. He's almost a free agent. I mean, this doesn't this doesn't smell like a good pitcher to me. Now, obviously, you, you and I know that that is completely unfair for a variety of reasons. But you do wonder how hard it is to get past that reputation when he has 17 losses. And you're trying to make a deal for him. Yeah. It's hard to say. I think my sentimental value for Guthrie exceeds his actual value. (laughs) So, I mean, I was bummed by the trade. I just feel like there wasn't a really logical reason behind it offered in any of the various, you know, whether it was reporters speculating or Dan Duquette himself talking about it, because it clearly wasn't a salary dump. Uh, Guthrie settled with the Rockies for $8.25 million, I believe. And uh, the combined salary of Hamill and Lindstrom is like $8.3 million. So, uh, sure, you get two players for the price of what would have been Guthrie, but I don't know. Are those two players better than Guthrie? I don't know. But to me, it feels like that trade, getting two guys for one, means there's two guys with guaranteed roster spots. And Duquette is again sending the message to the young pitchers that He's not going to be waiting for those guys. They can either push through or they'll be left behind. Well, let me ask you this. As, and I'm just making this up. As an alternative, would you rather have Hamill and Lindstrom at the $8 million or, or whatever they're making collectively? Or would you rather have Jeremy Guthrie, assuming he won his arbitration case against the Orioles? Which would have had him at, I believe, ten million. Yeah, I think ten point two five million was his offer. Okay, so would you rather have him, and then let's say you trade, I don't know, Chris Tillman to whoever to get a, a relief pitcher back, who is, let's say, on the same basic level as Matt Winstrom, where he throws hard, and you can say like he has some experience in late innings, but. Don't look too close at that plate pinning experience because it's a little messy. Would you rather have that? More expensive, you don't have Tillman. I know you can dump on him all day, but that's a guy with a lot of years of service time left who I think could look pretty good in the bullpen. Yeah, I, I'm going to say I would rather have Hamill and Lindstrom um, because, like you said, I've, I'm not personally very high on Chris Tillman, but I wouldn't want to give up on him for a relief pitcher. So we're down the path. We're down. We might as well see who works out. And uh, at this point, you know, we're not going to have them stinking it up in the major leagues as much because there's uh, guys that are in the they're ahead of them, like our Japanese pitchers and whoever else. I I don't think 
the story of the 2012 Orioles is going to hinge on, oh no, Jason Hamill wasn't that good. Yeah, no. It's it's so, either going to be the whole pitching staff is better or Jason Hamill's contribution. And I don't think it would have hinged on, oh no, Jeremy Guthrie fell apart. Or, no. hey, Jeremy Guthrie's really great this year. Or, or really anything on that same line of thought. Yeah, it's it's going to be, hey, the likes of Jake Arrieta and Zach Britton finally take a step forward. It's going to be, hey... Wei and Chen, and maybe Tsuyoshi Wada exceed expectations, or it's going to be some combination of those guys are sitting with five plus ERAs like we've seen before. Yeah. And that's life as an Orioles fan, really. I mean, it is what it is. You know, I, I don't, I do miss Jeremy Guthrie. Uh, he was underappreciated, I think, even as much as I tried to appreciate him. I will I miss him I, too. He was is. a funny guy. He was just very self-deprecating and he was a guy you want to root for a guy like Jeremy Guthrie you want him to be on your team you want to root for him to do well there's Absolutely. no there's no conflict there you don't feel bad about him succeeding on your team and i do hope the rockies go out there and and kick some butt i so, would i would be happy to adopt the rockies as my uh sort of secondary rooting interest solely because of guthrie definitely if they got into the playoffs i'd be on that Way. Yeah, so we're we're pulling for you, Colorado. Good luck to them. So, Andrew, as our time winds down here, do you have any final thoughts on the evening? Well, I I do. Funny you should say that. Um, I have been hard at work at work, among other things, on the Fielding Bible, Volume Three, which is off to the printers at this point. Um, uh, it's got some of my language in it. Um, I also did some some of the more unseen work that goes into it, proofreading, stat checking, uh, the database work that is behind those stats, um, just as part of my regular job and specifically working towards the publication of this book. Um, I originally thought that I would have an article with my name at the top, and I, I do not, and that's, that's it, it is what it is. Um, but my, my words are there, uh, there are, there's a section that is like 75% my words, and I, I'm just, I really couldn't be prouder to, to be a part of that. So I wanna urge everybody to pre-order it, because if you wanna know what's up with fielding statistics, sort of the cutting edge stuff. Um, this is this is where to go to get it. Um, and there's lots of good stuff. There is specifically an article about the Camden Yards outfield and how it plays. Oh, see, I would like to read that because that's been something that's been discussed in the uh, right. various and outlets this offseason. Even I, I was talking with John Dewan, who is my boss and the, the co-author of the Fielding Bible, along with my friend and co-worker, Ben Jedlovic. Um, and he said, I believe that uh, John Shepard, once again, put up a thing about, just real quick, like UZR splits home and road for Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis. And that was sort of the the, the origin of his idea that, that blossomed into this article. So... Um, it's it's good stuff and stuff that Oriole fans specifically will appreciate. 
So check out so, the Fielding Bible. Our own Andrew has some writing in there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. My final thought, uh, and we didn't really get to talk about this too much in the rest of the podcast, is I got to act like a media for the day at the Orioles Fan Fest. And out of all the players that I saw go through the interview process there, the one who, to me, was clearly the most excited for the upcoming season was Jake Arrieta. And it made me excited to see how excited he was because it, it seemed plain that he believed all of his problems, or most all of his problems, were stemming from having like a ping pong ball size growth of whatever in his elbow. And it, that picture grosses Andrew out. He makes funny noises. Oh, it really is so it. gross. And, oh. uh, and it's gone. It's been removed from his elbow. And he was talking to Steve Malewski about how he's got all this stuff more consistent with his release point. It's improved his velocity and all this. And I was just sitting there like, well, I mean, we laugh at players saying they're in the best shape of their life and all. But I think Jake Arrieta has an actual reason to believe it. And uh, if it turns out he's right, I think he could potentially be, well, I don't want to say he's going to be winning like the Cy Young Award or anything like that. But after watching last year, uh, just having an Orioles pitcher with, you know, a 3.5 ERA would be pretty nice. And uh, I, I feel like Jake Arrieta maybe could step into that range. He certainly believes like he's going to take a step forward. And uh, it, it made me excited just to see how excited he was as a fan. So that's my final thought. I sure hope you're right. Yeah, I would that. like to. I hope. I, I'm not. I'm not on that train. Um, but you know, we'll see how spring training goes. We will see. And for everyone else. So Andrew and I will join you sometime while spring training's going on. I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. But oh, there'll be plenty. There will be things to talk about. I'm sure. Hopefully, maybe one thing will be good. But anyway. For tonight, that is all we have for you. So, for the illustrious Andrew Gibson, the famous, the book-writing Andrew Gibson, <laughs> I am Mark Brown. You can find us on CamdenChat.com. This is Camden Cast, and we're out.